0: If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we have two weeks left in our series entitled Sunday Rhythms, where we are looking at the aspects and order of our worship here at Cornerstone. Uh, we believe that every element of our worship has a forming and fashioning effect on the worshipers. And the whole goal, the purpose, the prayer of the series with that is that we would become Uh, Self-conscious worshipers who are engaged in what we are doing, we're aware of the worship we're giving to God. And in such a way, he would be pleased with what we bring to him. Today, we are looking at the rhythm of updating, uh, which is essentially looking at this aspect of our worship um, announcements. That's what we're considering. It's uh, maybe not the most popular topic uh, that you will have preached on. I'm not sure you have ever heard a sermon on announcements. Uh, If you have, let me know. I'd love to listen to it. Um, But we're looking at the rhythm of updating, and the next week we're going to conclude our service with the rhythm of reciting. Why as a church do we recite uh, creeds, confessions, catechisms, and what place does that have in our service? Uh, And so as we look at the rhythm of updating from 1 Corinthians 14, I invite you to stand with me. Standing is an act of worship for the reading of God's word, and the receiving of God's word as it is his word given to us. First Corinthians 14, reading verses 1 to 5, and then reading verse 26. Hear now God's word. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Verse 26, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more? Oh, Lord, as you speak to us now in your word, we ask that your spirit would be present with us, opening our hearts to give us understanding. But I pray that understanding is far more than mental comprehension. It is heart conviction and life change. I pray, O oh God, that you would uh, use your word now in this time of preaching, that you would address us, that you would correct us, that you would build us up and in such a way, Lord, uh, as you edify the people of God, that we would continue to give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Years ago, I was an assistant pastor at an uh, English ministry, an English-speaking congregation in a Korean church, and I remember having a conversation with the lead pastor at that time that quickly revealed how differently we saw uh, a particular issue in regards to the church. Now, you would think that because the context of this was uh, I was a Presbyterian pastor and he was a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, that there would be some issues and points of disagreement, but it was not on whether or not we should do infant baptism or uh, adult believers baptism only. It was not an issue on whether we should dunk in baptism or sprinkle in baptism. It was not an issue on Presbyterian church government or congregational church government. It was on an issue so much more simpler. We had tension, disagreement, on whether or not announcements should be in worship. You see, what had happened was that he was the assistant pastor, became uh, the interim and then lead pastor. And one of the things that he decided to do was to move the announcements from in the service to after the benediction. And I remember after that move, I was uh, intrigued by, so I asked him, why did you do that? And he responded to me that it was because announcements aren't worship, that announcements should be after worship and so you give the benediction worship concludes and then you give the announcements now this comment has always stuck with me uh because i've not only heard it from him but i've heard it from a lot of people it's the sentiment of a lot of people but it's also one that i wholeheartedly disagree with now i recognize not everyone is as passionate about sunday announcements as i am i'm not sure what's wrong with you but um yeah if you do a google search i would venture to guess it would be very difficult to find a sermon on this topic. Now, I do want to let you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not as concerned and passionate about announcements, am I just not at that spiritual level yet? Uh, that is not the issue. But if announcements have anything to do with worship, it's worth thinking about. So here's what I want you to think about and consider. Do you believe that announcements have a part or a place In our worship service, as an element of the worship service, or do you think announcements belong either before the worship service or after the worship service? Now, over the years, I've talked to a lot of people, and people disagree and are on different, you know, positions regarding this. Some like it, some dislike it, and others really, really dislike it. And those who really dislike it and disagree with it often say uh, something like, the announcements mess with, they interrupt the flow of worship. And what they mean by that is we've just sang songs that were... uh, heavenly and glorious, and we've just offered a prayer to our great God, and now we're primed. We're ready to receive the word. We're ready to receive the preaching. But if you insert announcements right there in the middle, it's like taking a soaring balloon and popping it with a needle, and all of a sudden, everything deflates. The point is that people don't like it. They find it strange, announcements to be strange in service. Ah, that it disrupts the vertical orientation of the worship service. So I really want us to think about this this morning. What role do announcements have in the service, if any? And in order to think about this question, we actually need to address a larger issue. And that issue begins with this recognition, this central aspect of Christian discipleship, which is that worship is first and foremost vertical. Our worship is first and foremost primarily upward and centered on God. We gather every Lord's Day to worship him, to adore him, to sing to him, to pray to him, to hear from him. The Old Testament was very clear on this. Jesus summarized it in Matthew 4 verse 10. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Worship is about God. So there's no question about that. This is ingrained, taught in Christians, uh, early in discipleship. But one thing that we don't talk about in our discipleship is the horizontal component to worship. What is worship doing to us? What should worship be among us? And because we're discipled that worship should be vertically about God, but not taught horizontally, we end up supplying our own meaning, our own answers. And usually we tend to think of worship something like this. Worship provides a spiritual experience by which I, the worshiper, engage with God in a meaningful, intimate way. A lot of us think of worship like that. Yes, it's for God, but what is it for me? What is it for us? Worship is this experience by which I, the worshiper, come into the presence of God and I worship him. But here's the thing. When... You provide your own answer, and then that answer is left unchallenged, unchecked for many years. It it becomes ingrained in your Christian discipleship, and as a result, I think what happens is you end up having false expectations of worship. I would go so far as to say uh, many of us are, in fact, a product of this. So that we talk about the worship service as if it's a worship experience. As if, you know, you go to a movie and you can watch it in Standard or Dolby or IMAX and you can get tiers of experience. Some are better, some are worse, some you prefer, some you don't like so much. That we talk about the worship service in such a way. The problem is when we focus less on the objective nature of worship and more on the subjective nature of worship, we end up twisting worship altogether. Like we understand this. Vertically, worship is about God. That's that's the king principle of worship. But right there next to the king, we have the queen principle of worship, which is it's about my personal experience, when I'm getting out of it. And that's why people don't like worship services when the praise band is singing songs that you don't know. Because I can't close my eyes and get lost in it. But I need to actually look at the lyrics and think about what I'm saying. That's why many Sometimes people don't like preaching that is long and dry. And doesn't, it doesn't connect with my life. Oh, the kids are so loud in service. It's so distracting. Well, distracting from what? The elders in the church, oh, they pray so long. Not our elders. <laughs> And the desire for a fulfilling, satisfying worship experience is so pervasive in our culture, which is why people are turned off by really two things. One, people are turned off by liturgical service. Liturgical service has all of those elements. Oh, they're so turned off by, oh, there's so many elements. And then other people are turned off by covenantal worship with children involved. Oh, there's so many interruptions, distractions. And in the end, we feel like, oh, the flow of worship is being ruined and I can't get my blessing on. I feel like I couldn't worship today. Worship, oh, when it's too liturgical, standing up, sitting down, are we playing musical chairs? What's happening here? Why are you making me say so much? Can't you just speak and we just listen? And all of these elements of worship to many people feel rigid and they feel stiff. And so we'd rather trade in five minutes of that of, you know, singing the the bridge of a song 17 more times. We'd much rather have that because that is a satisfying experience than all of these other elements. But what if? What if worship is not primarily about the experience you receive, but it's primarily about the edification of God's people? What if horizontally, vertically, yes, it's about God, but horizontally, what if worship's main focus is to edify the people of God? What if worship is more concerned with our formation than it is with your feelings? What if worship is more about our being built up rather than your personal blessing? In short, what would it mean if you really understood, you believe that in the assembly of God's people, God is far more concerned that his people are edified And that you get an experience. I think if we began to think intentionally about that, that it would actually change our attitude and our approach to worship. Now, I've said a lot up to this point. So where do we see this in the scriptures? Well, we looked at 1 Corinthians 14 this morning. And so let's begin there. But actually, in order to get a sense of our passage today, we need the context. 1 Corinthians is a letter that's 16 chapters. But in Corinthians, Paul, between chapters 12 and 14, has a section on spiritual gifts, Uh, three-chapter section on the spiritual gifts. And uh, the problem in the Corinthian church and the church in Corinth is this. Some people, some believers, thought that they were more impressive, more significant, more valuable to the body than other members because they had certain and special gifts. So what they did is they elevated themselves above others. They looked down on others, oh, those with lesser gifts, less important gifts. And so Paul begins making this claim, starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that no member of the church is better or worse than another member because we're all part of the same body of Christ. That's his point. He says that each believer has a God-given gift that God has gifted them with to serve the body. They have a place, they have a purpose in the body, every single body member. And so look at verses 17 to 21. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If The whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I mean, if you put that in our current context, just think about um, the daily activities you engage in, the most mundane daily things you engage in. You realize actually that the body part, one of the body parts you use most are your hands, your fingers, you text, you type, You open doors, you eat food, you brush your teeth. Your fingers are so much more essential, it appears, and it seems, than something like your toes. Your toes are out of sight. They're out of mind. They're hidden. They're covered in socks and shoes throughout the year. And so you think about it. When was the last time you used your toes in a significant way? Have you ever opened a jar with your toes? (laughs) Typed an email with your toes? And so we would think, oh, our fingers are more significant, more important than our toes. And you would think that until if ever there was an accident and you lost your big toe, you would see that you do not fare well to walk or stand without your big toe. And you realize, oh, my toe, which is less impressive, out of mind, out of sight, is actually essential to my balance. And so what Paul is saying, his whole argument in Corinthians, at least in chapter 12, is this. Some of you guys have impressive gifts, and you're like the fingers of the church. The body senses and sees and is served by your usefulness every day. Some of you have those kinds of gifts. And then he says, but some of you in this church are like the toes. Nobody senses and sees your usefulness, but everybody is served by what you bring to the table. That's Paul's point. And this is really important to get. This is chapter 12. This is the context. Every believer has a spiritual gift. They are all essential. No one is better than another. Okay. Then in chapter 13, he says, and you have to do it in love. If you don't have love, then what's the point of the gift? So use your gifts, love one another, all of you important, do it in love. Then we get to chapter 14. And this is what we read in verse one. Pursue love. Okay, that makes sense pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Yeah, all the spiritual gifts, they're all equally important. Every member important, especially that you may prophesy. Huh? It doesn't seem contradictory and at least confusing. Paul just made it his point to argue that every gift in the church is valuable. Every gift and every member is indispensable. So then why does he say, oh, by the way, though, I really want you to have the gift of prophecy. Why does he single this one gift above the rest? It it makes no sense. It's like, imagine you have three kids and they're all gifted uniquely, right? One child is athletic, one is artistic, one is musical. And they say, dad, mom, which one do you love most? And you say, oh, I love all three of you. I love all three of your gifts. God has blessed you. You're so unique. And then you have a fourth kid and you say to them, hey, but I really want you to pick up the cello. (laughs) What are you saying? Yeah. I love all the gifts, but music is, that's the one I really, or I really want you to play some sport. It seems like Paul's saying that every gift is important. Every believer has a gift, God is using you. And by the way, I really want you to pursue prophecy. What is happening here? And it seems like Paul's being hypocritical at first until you realize he's not. Because the context of 1 Corinthians 14 is covenant worship. It's corporate worship. It's the gathering of God's people in worship. And so what Paul is actually saying is that Prophecy is the better gift because it fulfills the purpose of corporate worship, which is what? The building up of the saints, the edification of God's people. The Greek word for build up is also translated as edify sometimes. That word is used six times in this chapter, signaling what is Paul's point, his main point when it comes to corporate worship What builds up the church? Edification, that is his emphasis. So look at um, verses two and three, because Paul goes on to say this. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mystery in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so Paul compares tongues and prophecy, but he doesn't compare as one's spiritual, one's unspiritual, one's good, one's bad, one's better or one's worse. His comparison between tongues and prophecy is one is individual and personal and the other is corporate and collective. One serves you, the other serves the body. And the reason then prophecy is the better gift that the member should pursue is because it serves the purpose of corporate worship. Look at verse four. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself personally, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Paul elevates the edification of the church above the experience of the individual believer when it comes to corporate worship. So if you were to ever ask Paul, Paul, what belongs in worship? What doesn't belong in worship? Paul's answer would simply be this, that which builds up the church. That's what belongs. If it doesn't build up the church, that doesn't belong. Why? Because when the church is built up, when the saints are being sanctified and the people are being strengthened, God is glorified. Now, when Paul says that, by the way, he's not downplaying or dismissing the gift of tongues. Not at all, because he says later in verse 5, Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. It's very clear. But even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So Paul's concern is the edification of the people of God. And he summarizes this, right? So he continues writing, he goes a little bit further, but uh, in verse 26, he kind of summarizes this is what he says. He says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, that all things be done for building up. He's saying, You guys are all gifted in a different way, but the main principle at work in corporate worship is that whatever is done is done for the building up of God's people. And so again, worship, what's the purpose of worship? Well, primarily vertically, it's to worship God, it's to exalt Jesus Christ. But horizontally, what is it? It is not our individual personal experience of worship. It is the edification, the building up of God's people. Okay? So what does all that have to do with announcements? Because the last I checked, announcements are not a spiritual gift. Well, friends... You must understand that the purpose of our announcements in the service is not organizational updates. Your company does that when it sends out company-wide emails. The CEO, the president, your manager, your director sends out an organizational update. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Here's how our stock's it. Our announcements are not organizational updates. Our announcements in the church service is an opportunity to edify you. You see, you hear the announcement that so many of us are dismissive in what we are hearing. Our minds wander. We take out our phone. We say, oh, he'll write this, you know, somewhere else. And I don't need to pay attention. But no, it's an opportunity to be edified. And so even though you hear an announcement, an update, you must receive it and listen for the opportunity to be edified. You know, I had this friend when I was in uh, seminary, made friends my first year. And so a group of friends said, OK, our second year, we're all going to live together. And so we're looking for apartments and, you know, we're all, you know, poor seminarians. And so it's like we're trying to get like nine people in one little apartment. And we're all like looking around. What's the best deal? And, and we go to this one place and, and one of our uh, roommates, this was late in the spring. He was from the Bronx in New York City. He was a real like down to earth kind of guy, um, just, you know, straight into the point. And so we're talking with one of these uh, rental agents and um, man, it, it was amazing just because he hurt. He, he didn't hear what we were hearing. And this one apartment complex we went to, and the agent was saying, you know, this place is so community friendly. Uh, do you see this large area? There are grills here. And in the summer times, all the people come out of their apartments, and they grill burgers and hot dogs. And it's so uh, family friendly. And, and, and the family spend time together. And we're all going, wow, this sounds really great. And, and then she left the room, and he turned to us, and he's like, no, nah, this isn't it. And we're like, well, didn't you just hear what he said? And he's like, well, I don't know what you heard. You may have heard community-friendly and picnics. I heard loud music on the stereos, kids playing and screaming at each other, noise late into the night. Let's go somewhere else. And it was like, how are we listening to the same thing? It turns out he was right. The other people who lived there said it was awful. And the point is, we all heard the same thing, but he was listening for something else. When I give the announcements or the provider gives the announcements, don't just hear it as updates, organizational updates, but opportunities to be edified, to be built up. So how does this happen? How does the weekly rhythm actually edify you? Well, there are three ways that I want to talk about. The first way that the rhythm of updating the announcements edify you is one, they invoke praise. When you hear an announcement, ask this question, how does this announcement help me praise and worship God? You know, if you actually listen to the updates of the things happening in the church, there is so much to thank God about. There's so much to celebrate God for. And the announcements give you the occasions to do that. The first announcement we made this morning uh, was that two of our church members got married. And the announcement is far more than here's an update or, hey, why don't you congratulate them and say, you know, good job. And no, that announcement is meant help you praise God. Steve Kim got married. I mean. (laughs) The announcements are invitations now, right? They invoke praise. Praise God that he is at work bringing couples together, uniting them in marriage. You know, a couple times, every once in a while, I'll make a a parking announcement, right? Now, a parking announcement is the most mundane, like, okay, whatever. No, a parking announcement is significant and invokes much praise. You know when we give parking announcements? It's when we're running into parking issues. Do you know when we're running into parking issues? When there are lots of people coming. When people are brand new and they haven't heard the old announcements and they don't know where to park and they're parking illegally in places they shouldn't be parking and we make the announcements. Now, it's easy for you to go, well, I know where to park and I get here early and I have no parking issues and so I don't need to listen. No, when you hear a parking announcement, you know what you're praising God for? Thank God that you're sending people. Lord, we praise you that you're sending visitors and guests to come and worship with us. The question is, do you have ears to hear? If you're just listening to announcements of, okay, I need to know that, I don't need to know that, you'll miss the opportunity to be edified, to praise God for the work he is doing in, among, and through us as a church. So announcements help us remember what God is up to and what he's doing. The second thing announcements do is that they inform prayer. When you hear an announcement, ask, what does this announcement remind me to pray for? all church updates have embedded in them inherent prayer requests that we need to take to God. We need to ask his favor upon. We need to ask his provision for. We need to ask his wisdom concerning. Every announcement has that. Like we just made an announcement to say there are Mark ESV scripture journals available for you to learn God's word and for you to uh, get trained to share it and read the Bible with an unbeliever. There's lots of prayer requests in that. Lord, help me love your word. Help me to grow in your word. Lord, I've been talking to this person and I'm really fearful, but oh God, give me the boldness. Encourage me, equip me to share the gospel with that person. Oh Lord, would you change this other person's heart? Oh God, my quiet times have been lacking. I've been putting other things above it. Lord, change my heart. There's so many prayer requests in that. Even in the same announcement. Okay, there's a new married couple. Did you hear their names? They need a lot of prayer. <laughs> 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 and we hear this and we think, you know, as Elder Moon pray, we need to pray for them. Not, okay, we heard them, praise God, but praise God, let's pray. Our announcements, they give you an endless supply of prayer requests and things that we need God's blessing upon. You know, I love the members of our church who pray for the church and they'll come up and say, Pastor Andrew, what can we be praying for about the church? I just want to say, well, listen to the announcements. Those are the things you can be praying for. And this edifies the body because the more we pray, the more we become dependent on God. And we're recognizing that every aspect of this ministry, we cannot do without his blessing. So we hear the announcements and they inform us to pray. they edify the people. And the third thing is they invite participation. They invite participation. You know, many times our announcements are signaling needs in the church. Highlighting opportunities for ministry. And you need to hear this as an invitation to you. This need in the church, this area, Lord, is there a way that I can participate, that I can serve, that I can meet the need, that I can volunteer, that I can utilize my gifts? You see, what makes these announcements edifying to the body is when you respond to the invitation to participate, you're actually helping the church fulfill her vision and values. Like we believe that God has revealed in his plan the centrality of community for, the believer, for believers, for the Christian church. And so we've made it a core value to do community fostering. In order to do that, we need community group leaders. And so we're making these announcements. And the announcement is not just for you to do something and, to you know, just uh, be involved. It's for you to actually participate, to help us as a church Live in obedience to what we believe God has revealed, and one of those things being the centrality of Christian community among the people of God. And so in this way, your participation, it helps us, it, it edifies the body and helps us glorify God. You know, listen again to what Paul wrote in, in verse 26. He says, What then, brothers? And he says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpret or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. He's saying Bring whatever gift you have. Each of you have been called uniquely gifted in these ways. Bring what you have to meet the needs of the church. Offer them up to service to God and to others. And let it be done for the building up of the body. Now, every week we're going to have announcements as a church. Every week there's going to be something to praise God about. There's going to be something to pray to God about. There's going to be something to participate in. And this is because the work of the church is never complete the mission and the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ continues until Christ returns. And sometimes this can be overwhelming. I remember after the town hall meeting, one of the members came up to me and says, Oh my goodness, there's so much need in the church. Well, absolutely there is because the church is never static. The church doesn't retire. The church doesn't take winter break. The church is called to be the hands and feet of Christ, always active, always serving. And that can be overwhelming. It can be daunting It can be tiring, but that, command, that calling does not come without encouragement. All of 1 Corinthians 14 is an encouragement that God has gifted you. Use it for the building up of his church. And first of all, it's amazing that God would allow us to put our hand to the plow and participate in his work. He could have said, you know, move aside. I'll do the work. But he calls us to participate. I don't know about you, but I have this memory as a kid. uh, It's definitely illegal now. But uh, as a kid, My dad would drive, and if we were like on the neighborhood road, he would just like kind of put me in between his legs, and I would put my hands on the steering wheel. It was like the greatest thing, you know, until I was like 10. And he's like, you're too big to do that. But (laughs) I I would sit in between his legs and put my hands on the steering wheel, and I would steer the car. Amazing. And so, yes, I had my hands on the steering wheel of the car, and I was steering the car. But in another sense, my dad was in control. Like if I took my hands off the wheel, if I looked away, if I turned left when I was supposed to take right, I never needed to worry about crashing because dad didn't take his hands off the wheel. Dad didn't look away. Dad didn't take wrong turns. Dad let me put my hands on the wheel, but dad was also always driving the car. In the same way, God the Father, let us put our hands on the steering wheel of the church, so to speak, and he says, serve and build up the church. What you do, the gifts you have, the gifts you use, God is calling you to build up the body of Christ. He really does use your gifts. He really does use your service. He really does use your sacrifice and your labors. But in the end, it's never entirely up to us. The fate of the church is not in our hands. We never need to feel overwhelmed or ill-equipped ultimately because scripture promises us that another's hands are always on the church. The assurance, the promise, the surety, the confidence we have is that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And he is not only its true builder, but he is the one the church is built upon. Jesus, in a conversation with his disciple Peter, says in Matthew 16, verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ says, the the church her members, they're mine. I died for them. I purchased them. I redeemed them. I'm committed to them. I will build my church. I will mature her. I will strengthen her. I will see her to the end. Christ is far more dedicated to the church than even the most faithful elder or the longest standing member could ever be. Christ will see her through. Christ will see us through. And such was his love for the church that he not only committed himself to build church, but he laid down his life for the church so that the church might be built upon him. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We are the church, and Christ is building us upon himself, crucified and raised. He is the solid one foundation, and built on him, we have the promise that we will never topple over, we will never blow over, we will never fall over, come what stormy gale may come. This is the promise of the gospel. We are built on Christ as our cornerstone. We are built by Christ as the chief architect. And so we will be built up. And it's with this confidence, with this surety that we press on in mission and in ministry week after week, desiring to edify and build up the body. And so, dear friends, my last encouragement as we close, when we hear the announcements, don't shut off your brain. Don't start wandering in your thoughts and in your eyes. But listen. As we hear, we praise God for the work he is doing in, through, and among us. As we listen, we pray to God for the work that he is doing in, through, and among us. And as we listen, we participate with God in the work that he is doing in, through, and among us. He will build up his church. Let's pray.